Gentlemen, at approximately 0300 hours this morning, members of the 30-minute world strike team infiltrated World Building Magazine headquarters and tactically extracted CEO and President, Chief Editor Adam Bassett, who is now our hostage, with the demands that he do one episode with us. He agreed in the spirit that he was allowed to plug whatever stupid shit it is that he's doing. <laughs> right. no, so we're calling we're calling that stupid shit, but this is fine. Yeah, the you're doing podcast right now. is obvious. Well, okay. When we took That's, you hostage, we were just hoping for retweets, but it somehow escalated into this. So yeah, a, a, condition, welcome of, aboard. a condition of taking him hostage was that he had to follow all of them. <laughs> Adam, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Uh, Thank you for having me. You're in the hot seat here. Uh, you are a game designer. You work on a lot of projects. You do a lot of uh, work with World Building Magazine, which is kind of like the, uh, I, like, what's the allegory here? Like the big, giant, well-funded baseball team compared to our, like, little league scrappy underdog <laughs> yeah, you're team. the Yankees, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you're the bad guys, um, but... <laughs> well, it's all volunteers, so well-funded might not be the best term for this. <laughs> um... <laughs> Basically, long story short, it's a uh, group of people who've come together to just kind of work in the space of world building. You know, we all enjoy it in one way or another. Uh, some people are writers who develop, write, write articles or interviews. Um, we've actually had some pretty awesome guests. Uh, one of the most recent people I interviewed was Brian McClellan, who is my personal favorite author, which was awesome. Wow. And uh, in the next issue... Uh, we have a couple of people from Paizo coming into the magazine and uh, talking with us. And I don't think anyone else knows that. So there's your exclusive. This is a good wow. thing this will nice. air, I think, in two weeks. So. Well, and, and our committed right. listeners will remember that a previous guest of the show, uh, I Machinate, is a contributor to the oh, yeah, Vin, building magazine and podcast. Uh, very oh. good friend of the pod. Mm -hmm. um, and Adam, aren't you also working on a card game as well? Yeah, I've got a bunch of little projects. Um, Hell yeah, dude. I uh -huh. work with Smunchy Games uh, on a couple of different things, both of them card games. Uh, I developed and we've actually published two versions of uh, Fray, which I actually have here in my desk. Um, it's a small card game, kind of pocket game, um, based in a larger tabletop RPG setting. And like mid game in the RPG, you could be going around with your player characters and everything, and your DM could just be like, "Hey, by the way, you have to like play this guy with cards, and then break out the actual cards to like have a little mini game <laughs> in the game." Oh, that's, that's delightful! Yeah, that's yeah. Like how sort of I love that man. Magic: The Gathering was originally made for board D and D players. Wait, to really? do something. It's the same vibe. I had no idea that, that was yeah, true. Yeah, I, huh. I, I don't know the the exact story, but I think it was like. Um, like a card game Dungeons and Dragons sort of thing and then it just kind of like morphed over time hmm. um, yeah so I made that and then also right now we've got a public test build of Fourth Horizon which is my more ambitious project uh, those games of Fray are like 30 cards to a deck you can play a game in like 5 minutes uh, it's really easy to learn Fourth Horizon is a little bit more analogous to Magic the Gathering, where you've got to learn a whole bunch of stuff to get started. You build your own deck, uh, but the deck building process is a little bit streamlined. And um, it's not so much about like 
you know, a typical magic style game is beat my opponent in the face until a number hits zero. This is more about like building yourself up and trying to build yourself up more than your opponent. So it's just a game of points really in the end. Cool. Kind of like um, a Euro style board game. Mm-hmm. And that's available. Uh, yeah, that's available right now. You can check it out. Go to smunchygames.com. Um, there's a bunch of resources there. There's a short video of me teaching my friend how to play. Uh, you can get it on Tabletop Simulator Hell and yeah. go through that. Or you can do a print cool. and play, download the files, print them off yourself. I've updated the card files to be a little bit more friendly to your printers. Um, so, yeah, we're just getting some feedback right now. And then uh, I believe that's coming out sometime, you know, roughly later this year, beginning of next year. Um, as with everything else, COVID has kind of impacted everything. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, we had a recent, like in the company, Smunchy Games, not myself, we had a recent uh, unexpected success with a different person's game, uh, Parslings, which is a tabletop RPG. If you've seen it, it's got gorgeous art all made by the creator, and it's got like a deck building system within it, uh, just using like basic... 52 playing cards. You and deck um, building, man. That's not me, though. Yes. <laughs> um, the company has somehow oh. turned in that direction, but... <laughs> we'll include yeah. links to all of Adam's games uh, in the description for this episode if y'all want to check them out. Uh, I think we've complied with your uh, hostage demands, you know, long enough. The people of Bolivia demand a freeform RPG setting and you will provide it. Understood. Now, now that we've talked about a lot of well-constructed uh, settings and games and with rules, <laughs> now, now let's, we yeah. should probably Are you move ready on to build to... a world uh, based off prompts for our amusement? I will do my best. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chessman, I'm going to let you go first. What is the prompt word that we're going to pick? Uh, my prompt is genuine. Ooh. Genuine. Mm. Abstract. Okay. No mercy on that first prompt. That's very... <laughs> I, yeah, look, a very, very cool that radio like prompt. That's just a little bit vague. <laughs> okay. Dan, how about you? There's going to be four yeah. prompts. So. Uh, the, the prompt okay. word is mutation. Mm-hmm. Belvin? Okay. My prompt word is fish. I know it sounds like a Simpsons reference after Dan's word, but. <laughs> My prompt word is paint. In okay. keeping with these. Paint. Yeah, so we have genuine fish mutation paint. <laughs> they sell these those at the, the corner store, words. I heard. Yeah, it's. <laughs> You're going to go down to the Ace Hardware. Your fish. Do not. Yeah. <laughs> now. now in the past, we've said things like, oh, we probably shouldn't have four prompt words. he's the editor-in-chief of the magazine. <laughs> we could also ignore genuine. However much you feel like you can pull from the initial prompt words, like if only two or three fit together in your brain in any way that seems like interesting, just roll with that. Yeah, just roll with that. And like then we will just make shit up later because oh, that's yeah, all we'll we do. We'll make it yeah. work. It's, it, might, it might not be the best well put together thing you're like but. it's hard with this gun pointed at me but you never know what <laughs> mm. fish and paint yeah paint can't exist underwater really right like right I mean, that's interesting because you can't really well, do an underwater here's setting the thing, though here's the thing though with with every world building you have to ask your question what are the exceptions mm-hmm. paint doesn't work super well in water but uh we've got a bunch of wacky shit going on here so let's just roll with it what if 
there is a paint-based magic system which exists underwater. Interesting. Okay. Oh, so, okay. It, okay. Yeah. So you're talking different colors of paint painted on something, imbue it with magical properties. It could be paint extracted from coral reefs or like natural rock oh, formations deep in the ocean. Yeah, like, like dyes. Yeah. Right. Okay. There is no. a ton of stuff available for dyes underwater. Crushed mother of pearl, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. I mean, so underwater, you can get lots of really colorful creatures, right? Like shockingly mm-hmm. colored fish and yeah. eels and stuff. I mean, what, what if that's like a source of power, essentially? Treasure maps you can get your hands on the, their yeah, colors, yeah. like color extraction. Mm-hmm. And, and it's got, uh, you know, every magic system has to have, you know, pros and cons, um, sort of a cost associated with doing something within them. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is not an uncommon one for people who use magic too much to become obsessed with it, to become corrupted by it, to mutate from it. Mutate. Mm-hmm. That kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. That makes sense. So mutation, a drawback of this magic system. What are some oh, typical... Well, what if you can become consumed yeah. by a color? Oh, I like okay. that. So you fade mm-hmm. into that yeah. color? Yeah. The equivalent of having like the, the mutant horrors or like the people would be like... Blue, blue people, red people—they be extreme in some aspects. Factions uh, of the colors. Mm. Let's say very like similar a color to a game that we mentioned. That's <laughs> 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 all that talk about deck but, building. But, what but, are you gonna do? But purple's a color in this one, so we're differentiating <laughs> here. Oh. This is the alternate timeline where purple actually be- became a color of whatever that card game is so, called. I do like the idea of these colors bleeding into uh, casters. What are what are the what race of people are we dealing with here? Are they actually fish what? people? Uh, so I, I don't think so. Um, you know, anyone who's spent an amount of time with me discussing world building and uh, different species and stuff knows that I just kind of like to keep things simple and accessible. And the way, best way to do that is to keep every, you know, uh, main character basically stays human. Um, I would go even a little bit further with that in my own work and just say, like, there aren't aliens, there aren't these other, uh, you know, species, species and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I've got an idea of how we can use fish. Um, oh, okay. So we've got this rudimentary magic system which has some connection to the dyes in the water and the like things that are in the water we've got this kind of drawback of this mutation which like changes them over time the more they use it um however again you know same similarity with like the costs of using magic and the benefits of doing so um you know access to it is always something that's kind of gate kept you know um it could be a connection to the land. Uh, like it could be certain, scarcity of dye, too. It could be scarcity mm. of dye. That could be a really good one. Um, I think one that we are familiar with but don't see a whole lot is the use of a uh, connection to like another being, such as a familiar. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, witches have their cats and everything, for example. Maybe mm-hmm. in this world people have fish. There's like a sort of ethereal or magical fish Familiar species. <laughs> well, now I'm imagining people walking around with fishbowl backpacks with like their, their blinged out fish <laughs> That'd be in the cool, back. Though. Yeah, yeah you got not? like a little like a handbag with your get through fish boy. Oh. That explains why, if they're humans, underwater is still important to the setting. First of all, you have to venture underwater to get these things. They live pretty far down, mm-hmm. I would presume. Uh, they can be used on land, uh, right? What are we thinking on that? Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, fish backpack. Well, I mean, yeah. we're talking about sort of tropical colored fish too as being the most potent. The I mean, brighter the fish's colors, the, the the more colorful the fish, the more powerful mm-hmm. it is with that color type. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like the idea too of like, well, so if the if the source of the power in this is the color that is then sort of distilled into paint to use for practical application of magic, it stands to reason to me that then the concentrations of magic in the ocean are coral reefs which probably manifest their own magical defenses to protect themselves from harvest. Uh, yeah, um, the fish could actually come from these reefs as well and be associated with them if we wanted to mm-hmm. actually tie those two together. Yeah, I like that. Mm. So it could be a situation where like these these fish species, and it doesn't have to be like a specific species of fish, but just the variety of fish that live in the ocean, have some sort of symbiotic relationship with the reefs like they do in real life, but in this case it manifests by conferring some sort of magical energy into the fish species. If a human mage can form a connection with it, they can use it to sort of as an end to collect resources from the reef. Like one of the things that makes uh, that makes animals uh, develop the colors that they have on them is what they're eating, right? So maybe this magic is like the there's creatures that are feeding on the coral itself, and then there's the creatures that are eating those creatures. And it's this sort of life cycle thing where the it's longer like, a fish stays in an area, in a coral reef of a certain color. Within the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we want to say that the land that a lot of these paint wizards are from is less colorful than normal? Like maybe imagine sort of like a bleak Seattle, England sort of rainy gray. It could be like a Cliffs of Dover yeah. situation. I kind yeah. of like that. Uh, I, I like that, but I want to add something to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what if we what if it is like a less colorful place because they've like drained the color out of it or like it's just this very industrial area? I'm not really sure which makes more sense, probably the second. Um but what if it's been like painted over with you know the things that they've been doing? So you've got this very bleak scene of this like city for example, but it's like covered in graffiti. And it's mm. very colorful where mm. they've inter- yeah. interacted with it. But then, like, you can kind of see around the outlines of that piece of art or the the impact they've made for whatever reason. And you, you can see kind of the, just the cold steel and everything. I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that. So maybe we're setting up. So color was over harvested. We can delve more into, like, the mechanics of that later. Um, but then there's sort of a new wave of people discovering these corals and the, the fish from them and so now like the lang- the landscape is splattered with the effects that I'm the battling paint, if yeah. there's conflict yeah, yeah. or art um, the, if that's what it's used for. Well and it's cool because it, 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 it calls to mind it what's left of the natural world has been bleached of its color. Like fields of grass are not it's green. Too real, man. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's, like it's bleached well, now. You know, every they're like, setting um, we do is petrified <laughs> petrified forests and shit like that. Mm. Yeah, no. what's interesting too is you can ascribe because we've talked a lot about the fish. We haven't talked about what colors are available. You can prescribe various magical effects to various colors, like blue for safety, uh, black for observance and wariness, uh, red mm-hmm. for speed. I hate to go cliche there, right. but like and, and white, white for weenies, right? Yeah. Uh, in order to no, in order to get more complicated glyphs, you might need multiple magicians who are each skilled in different colors actually contributing to the same uh, motif or, like, graffiti, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and rare mm-hmm. fish with multiple color patterns. 
Right, right. Oh, that's true. Are there multicolored fish? No, it's cool. It calls to mind, like, a warded building is one that's got, like, runes of, like, blue and green sort of just spattered all around it, or, like a circle. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. differentiate the colors from magic a bit. I think purple and orange are two good ones. Well, I think it'd be the normal oh, color wheel. Okay. I guess it would be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Only like, so many you'd, colors. Have, you'd have very, like, common colors, and there might be some specific mm-hmm. powers associated with each one. Um, and I think for those, I would lean toward looking at, like, uh, color psychology. So, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, red can be a color of passion, of danger. Uh, mm-hmm. It can make you hungry. So, like, maybe it's got abilities associated with those things, like, um, you know, and I'm not saying I, I necessarily want these exact examples, but they're just what's coming off the top of my head. You know, for the passion angle, it could have something to do with, um, you know, adjusting relationships, um, mm-hmm. for danger, it could be like, you know, actual combat magic. And mm-hmm. then, you know, maybe it also j- makes food. I don't know. I like that. <laughs> well, no, that makes sense too. Yeah. Cause like th- that's a real effect of color psychology. If you're in a room yeah. that's like all red, it will, it will cause you irritation. You can't like sleep in there. Mm. Like at its <laughs> base, it could be a, like, like a mood manipulation kind of Chessman, thing. Chessman, you were going to say? Here's what's funny about color psychology, right, is that the psychology of colors is in a large part a learned response, right? Mm. Specifically like white and black, like we think of black as a color of death, like we wear black to funerals, but people wear white, like I think, I think it's maybe it's aboriginal. In Asia, Um, they wear white to funerals. Yeah, uh, so it's like white has an association Mm -hmm. with death yellow there. i so think I, as well somewhere i forget the location yeah mm-hmm. this is a bit of a digression but people have looked through ancient chinese texts ancient hebrew texts a lot of greek epics and noticed that blue never comes up huh the the, hmm. the color blue and and they've done studies on aboriginal people um and they asked them to to switch between uh green and blue like notice the difference and they can't but they can also tell mm-hmm. the difference between different shades of green that to us basically look mm-hmm. the same. So that's nuts. Basically, seeing blue, which just seems to us to be an inherent thing, is totally culturally contextual and based on what if they're. And this goes back to genuine as a prompt. What if there is one color that the whole world is that we can't see? Uh, and by <laughs> it's the genuine color of the world and of creation. Oh. And what if by painting over it, we are actually doing harm, not just to our bodies by mutating ourselves, but to the fabric of uh, reality? I'm going to do another yes and in this situation. Yes and. You're like yes that. That's your yeah. job. Oh, Go yes. for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I, I like that. I like that there's kind of like this, uh, this almost true color. And by, you know, using these fish-based powers. <laughs> um, You're not allowed yeah. to laugh. You, <laughs> you made it. <laughs> I can laugh at my own shit. <laughs> um, so by employing these abilities and everything, um, you know, people are damaging kind of the foundations of that truth, that one uh, kind of, I don't know, assimilated color or power or whatever it is. The base um, color, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Um, Octarine. But the goal of like the major players involved in this setting 
they are working toward achieving that color. They're working to grasp that power. Um, mm. So, like, the more they reach toward it, the further it becomes. If you, yeah, no, if you theoretically, I mean, combined colors in the right way, you could replicate uh, the genuine color, the base color. Is yeah, that it's muddy just, brown? It's just brown is the, <laughs> <laughs> the base color. Have you ever But it's this special kind of brown. It's the a very special specific brown. kind. No, it's, oh, it's cool. It's not it's, quite black. It's not quite brown. Brown's kind of yeah. a primeval oh. color, like sort oh. of. Well, so just thinking back to genuine, um, I mean, what if, because we've been talking around how colors and responses are cultural and can be different. Um and talking about this one color and also people literally being different colors, like the magic warping them. So they become colored red, colored blue. And mm-hmm. we're kind of dancing around as sort of some sort of metaphor for division among people, right? Yeah. It's about unification or division. We were, we were being very articulate. We're, we're treading yeah. on the edge of a knife, okay? <laughs> yes, that was the intention. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we're all being very deliberate. I, 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 should, I should back up very briefly. I, I kind of laugh at that because I have a background in uh, art and art history from college. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is just kind of normal conversation for me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad we just came. Yeah, wow. It's like good thing the prompt word there came in handy. Yeah, so someone said that, and I'm like, yeah, I'm on board. Let's go. Yeah, and, and Walt, cool. you definitely didn't come up with that prompt word by looking at your miniature paint next to your desk, did uh, you? There's no way for me to pan this camera, so unfortunately we'll never have proof. Uh, <laughs> definitely that quick not, look to the left true. there didn't mean anything at all. Never, whether the listeners, oh. he, he's lying, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> so to go back to the one true color idea mm-hmm. i guess we could say that maybe societies are shifting to be a little more oppositional mm-hmm. uh, and then people are literally becoming tinted in these colors and things are starting to divide like so Let's that's sort of the movement yeah, yeah. of the setting right now mm-hmm. do you want to talk about what happens to you when you start when another color starts bleeding into you too much well i we, we could sure. play on the the psychology of color aspect and just say like those those start start to imbue your personality. Yeah, traits you know, like if, aggression. I mean, the only one I really know for color psychology is like aggression for red. But mm. could it be a thing where like as you are being mutated by the intake of this color, red being an example, can you offset it by like medicating yourself with other colors, other types of I would, magic? I would think so. Yeah. And <laughs> kind of where this is bringing my head is like... Um, you know, as the world is becoming increasingly unstable and divided, uh, perhaps it's in part because like um, people strove for a kind of balance and either like wouldn't use these abilities, wouldn't seek them out, or like when they did, they tried to kind of manage it and protect themselves from the uh, side effects and everything. And perhaps over time, you know, the appearance of, you know, showing that you have been affected by this magic and you have, you're turning into, um, you know, whatever color you're using, uh, has become a sign of status, fashionable, mm-hmm. um, you know, take your pick. And for whatever reason, the opinion of people is changing and now people aren't seeking inner 
inner balance, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're seeking, I want to represent, um, you know, this red tone, which I identify with mm-hmm. and I think is cool. And uh, I want to show the world that. Yeah. yeah. I like the idea of there being mm-hmm. like, maybe when this first came into practice, there was like a cultural aspiration of some sort of balance that could be achieved. And now that's, that's just been lost. It's, it's hedonism mm-hmm. now. Because it's become like normalized. Mm-hmm. So people aren't concerned. I do like purple is the color of like indulgence and, you know, uh, <laughs> decadence and the magic focused on I that. Mean, it's oh, gotta yeah. be. <laughs> It's it's the passion of the blue bloods, right? It's red and blue. Red is actually cool for protection and warmth, and I actually like yellow for aggression because I associate yellow with like yellow jackets, mm-hmm. bees, insects, uh, that well, kind of it, thing. Okay. Yellow is the color of fear, classically. Yellow is the color of fear, classically. Right. We make. The, I think the fear. Um, I'm holding up my hand. I'm pointing to a place where a ring. That's the word. Oh uh, right. Yes. Yes. Lantern. Mm. Um, can we, we we could also oh, what up Dan I was gonna say can we maybe just pick three or four colors and then ascribe like two or three qualities to each of them so we just have something in stone that here? makes sense to have a baseline okay. yeah, yeah 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 we have red we gotta have red we've said red 90 times yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's red the color <laughs> um so the the classic route is like aggression and um but it, I mean, I don't want to ascribe like only negative or positive traits to no, any of the colors. Like, I, I think I think we can kind of just do what we were talking about earlier, and you know, we were talking already earlier about how um, you know there's different interpretations of what a color means to someone. You know, red was uh, warmth and passion and aggression and mm-hmm. anger and food, uh, and like has all these connotations. Um, so I think we could have it kind of just be all of those things. And then depending on the individual, how mm-hmm. they're using it and how they are raised, I suppose, right. like different aspects of it are expressed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you could have two, um, I don't know, red paint casters, whatever we're calling this. <laughs> um, oh, we need a name that's like not- casting sounds great. Uh, okay. We can do paint casters. Painters? I don't know. We yeah. could have two red painters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they could be using the same medium, but in different ways. Right, because it's expressed differently through them. I think vitality mm-hmm. is sort of a through line for a lot of those. Um, yeah. And maybe we can say that if we're talking about magic effects, it can both amplify those things in people, but also maybe uh, the red-tinted people start to get just sort of stronger, uh, more blood is flowing, they have more energy. Um, they, they sort of get a lot of physical effects that other color other painters don't necessarily get. And also in my head, in their combat, uh, how they attack people is they make them feel these adrenal responses. So it's sort of oh, like that's cool. the, the body hurting itself almost is what they manage to do to oh, other that's, people. That's cool. That's cool. I like that. So we've got red. Isn't like the, the base color wheel is red, like blue and yellow? Red, blue, yellow. Yeah, yeah. 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 We could start with that, that I guess. Start with that sense. Then, well, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. The base, okay, the base color, we're the, cutting you're talking whatever. about two different things. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about the primary colors, or yeah. you're talking about the color wheel? Primary, about the primary colors. colors. The primary colors. Yeah. The primary colors of light are red, green, blue. The primary colors of ink are cyan, 
yellow right, and we're magenta. We're talking about the primary colors of light. We're going to cut yeah. this entire thing. We're not talking about printing Marvel comics. I, I, I just have to get that out there. This entire thing was ancillary <laughs> to this. The listeners do not need to know that just you know. Just been staring at too many printer ink levels in my life. Uh, There's two different ones. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. So we have blue, th- blue and yellow, right? Okay. Let's do blue. Yeah. Okay. okay. Blue. I like. Uh, I like wariness. I like. Well, yellow. We kind of so yellow could be like wariness, caution. Um, mm-hmm. Yellow is also often associated with like the sun or energy, like growth. So it could possibly be something like where it just kind of like bolsters the power of other things. It's your support role. That it could be cool to have a color like mm-hmm. that. I was thinking ahead and, of a color that. Oh, oh go ahead, Bilbin. Well, I mean, we kind of set up an industrial revolution type era that people are entering into with this new Russian of of colors and paints. Sure. I mean, what, what if yellow are the energy producers? I kind of like that, where okay. a lot of their society is actually fueled by yellow paint. It's worked itself into an inextricable, uh, like a really powerful role. This this is a this is a weird pull, but. Um, in the Great Fog of London, there was an anticyclone that trapped a bunch of the smog into London. They called it uh, pea soup days because the air actually started to take on a yellow tint because of what was in the air. So like maybe in like these industrial zones where there's a lot of they're using a lot of yellow magic. The air itself is yellow. Um, I like that. I like yeah. that, too. It, yellow it, it, is the pea most... soup day because. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, hmm. So energy, but also caution, and also, like, there's some primal emotions with yellow. Fear, you know? Mm. And what is fear if not, like, you are your most energetic when you are fearful of something. <laughs> you know, that yeah, is it's kind like, of the immediate... Like fight or flight, almost. Uh, like Blue, what could we do for blue? Uh, that's... So blue, um, and green as well, I suppose. Yeah, we can do green. Uh, blue is... Um, kind of associated with security and safety a lot like you'll mm-hmm. see a lot mm-hmm. of like banks and um governments and se- like securities websites will use that as a base color mm-hmm. um so anything that would be like protective could fall under the realm of blue um and also and also just like the the emotion of like being calm Cal- is yes. also very mental calmness mm-hmm. yeah yeah security mm-hmm clear-headedness whereas yellow is actually kind of and red too a little bit are kind of the opposites of that well it's cool because if if blue is calm like on the low end you're able to handle a stressful situation well on the high end you are you don't react to things around you anymore mm-hmm. you're just so checked out which i feel like is that that's what a lot of this looks like is a spectrum of like what is useful to what is detrimental to your own like performance in life so you think the, mm-hmm. the the fully blue painters, the fully blue people, are sort of disaffected, sort of detached, non-reactive. It's possible. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of the people who have turned different colors would probably be indifferent toward like a naturally or genuine colored uh, life. But I think the blue people would be some of the most pronounced, probably. Mm-hmm. You just don't get it, man. Hey, <laughs> Well, if we're talking about blue for stability, maybe if you paint any structure blue, it becomes a lot like more firm and secure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the doors obviously harder to tamper with, uh, more useful in their assigned function. 
Mm-hmm. You can make bridges that have no business staying up if you paint them blue. <laughs> like you would actually paint your financial institution blue to keep it <laughs> to keep safe. the currency stable <laughs> yes. and keep everybody calm. Like someone tries to rob it and they go in, and they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I do like. Uh, we were talking about green, and I think the impulse for green is to go, you know, the natural world. But since we already have that hidden color that represents that. I mm-hmm. think green could represent, because this is a very industrialized society, I think green could represent the past. Interesting. I want to say creativity. I have a strong urge to make green, to like the creative Ooh, we color. We do need something that's creative. Because it's a mixture mm-hmm. of, of yellow and, uh, and blue. I, I could see green being uh, creative in part. Uh, however, orange is also often seen as a creative color. Um, I, I could see them kind of being two sides of the same coin, though. Like, green is the very, like, contemplative creative person, and then orange is the kind of, like, passionate creative person. Person. I like that. And maybe one of the manifestations of those two colors in this society is sort of these two schools of, of art. There you go. <laughs> There's a green-orange yeah, rivalry. It's pointless cool. feud yeah. where they both have plays and literature, and they think the other sucks. <laughs> yeah, they say, they say green is the color of intelligence. Like, there's always the weird, like, People do it yeah. on Mensa, saying like they the green's their favorite green color is or the whatever. Color of bad takes. That's what I'm. <laughs> that's what I'm saying right now. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, we've got our basic colors. Yeah. We got the five that we have. That was. Well, I, I want. I want to do purple sense. now, just for completion. Yeah. There's, there's two more. There's orange and purple. I, oh no, purple. We talked about as well. Well, we talked green, orange. We kind of addressed them as rivaling. Their orange is more creative and spontaneous, and green is more like uh, reflective on the past. That sort of thing, uh, right? And right? they'd also probably have non-artist uh, incarnations. Yeah, yeah. Which is just sort of natural extrapolations of the two colors combined. Purple is the pursuit of human pleasure as a color. There's no That's... other reason, human-wise, that we invented purple other than to like oh, right. feel cool. It's it's mm. also kind of the um, the opposite of the natural world, just because it like barely occurs. Right, mm-hmm. that's actually um, really true. Well, and purple's a symbol of like human power, of like royalty. Uh, yeah. Could it be mm-hmm. because this desire to paint the world is a human desire uh, that the purple dye users? It could be they're like the rarest type. Their mutations could also be the most in addition to changing their color, make them less natural in a way that other Mm -hmm. mutations don't. Like, they could be less human. So I want to kind of jump back real quick to the concept of these fish familiars, which is where all these powers are originating from somehow. Um, And I want to say that you cannot, under natural circumstances, uh, acquire a familiar that will give you the ability to paint with purple. Um, You you like how, Mm -hmm. you know, people created purple from snail shells and all that. Um, at least I think it was just snail shells. Uh, basically you would have to take the fish and like breed them and feed them, get them on like certain diets and stuff, breed them in captivity, uh, for the express purpose of developing something that will give you that ability. Yeah. Right. Um, another Mm -hmm. possibility is that for some reason in this world, you have to destroy something of each color to make purple, like kind of a sacrificial Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, that's a way to go about it. Yeah. I don't know, I'm uh, just imagining these asshole aristocrats. And... 
Seems up their alley. It's a very like sort of alchemical magic, like formula mm. and blending. Yeah. Uh, mm. We could simply say that both exist. Like, um, I've always been kind of a proponent, uh, especially in recent years, that if you're developing a magic system, it never has to be like a one-size-fits-all thing. Like, there doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a, a constant, you know, direct correlation between A and B. You can have multiple versions of the same system uh, that kind of work off of one another. We could have, for example, a system where with your familiar, you can kind of uh, create a bond with it and build that connection over time, build your power over time. And, um, you know, it, it becomes kind of almost uh, a partnership in some way. Um, mm. Whereas the other option, um, you know, you could very quickly get that power by sacrificing it. And you would mm. have kind of this sudden burst of it for but a But then you got to find another fish, then, yeah. Yeah, then then you then it fades away and you've got to like figure mm. something else out if you want to continue mm. having that power. Right. We haven't really so much devised a magic system so much as a fundamental set of laws that govern this world. Well, that's typically a magic system. And people systems. invent their own magic systems on top of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Kind mm. of. Yeah. Like the, these color associations and powers exist to begin with, but they can be manipulated by humans using this paint. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, so I'm. Ex- how is paint made? Where, where are the that's a, components of paint? That's a freaking good question. <laughs> From the coral deposits that are congregated, yeah, uh, by these fish, right? Well, I'm just thinking. So, I mean, if if you're drawing on the color of the fish for power. I mean, maybe you still need actual paints. I think the fish gives you the ability to do magic. You still need crushed pigment and stuff. The fish can't give that to you, you know? Uh, It just unlocks your capability to utilize the magic pigment. But the fish, by virtue of being a color, has certain magical properties to it. Yeah. I would say they influence um, your affinity for a color, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think it would be nearly as fun to restrict a person who has a red fish from only like, to have them only use red paint would be, uh, no fun. What if the color of the fish changes upon, but it's not an indicator of what magic you can use. It's an indicator of what magic you do use. Uh-huh. Like the fish becomes certain colors because that's the kind of magic that you use fish itself is just an indicator of that, could, that would make sense actually with like the bonding uh path that i mentioned i think at oh. a certain point your fish locks in right once you change color uh your fish is with you ride or die right once you mm. mutate you can't you actually can't use other colors anymore and your personality changes as well, well if right? you're going to a certain point mm. maybe I, yeah I, w- I like the to a certain point thing like, I think you should always, like, say my fish is red, I think I should always be able to use blue and yellow pigment and, you know, whatever the case it may be. I just, over time, the more that I invest in uh, red and I gain power there, the more I lose power everywhere else. And to the point where, like, my abilities mm-hmm. in other uh, schools of magic uh, become very very weak, but I could still technically do them and I could still technically kind of train myself to improve with them. Um, but you know, there is a certain point where it's like, 
this is the one thing I'm really good at. And, and maybe it's a little bit like, um, I forget what the magic system is in Hunter Hunter, where they sort of have this wheel of, um, of disciplines and the further you away you are, you have to move on the wheel, the less capable you are of doing that kind of magic that that maps pretty quick, pretty easily to a color wheel. Like if you are a red, uh, a red mage, you find it hard to do other like magic that is further away from you on the color wheel. Oh, interesting. Like blue or something. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that would make sense why like previously in this world, balance was important so that you could kind of grab at these different abilities mm-hmm. uh, as needed and, you know, be able to kind of be versatile. And now that that's no longer in style, that's not really socially uh, desired anymore for whatever reason. Um, you know, that kind of, Painter is just kind of no more. Yeah, there's no gray mages. What I yeah, think so actually is through. Sorry, I well, Walter, say your piece because I kind of want to move to parts of the like just filling out the setting. The logistics. The magic yeah, that's system. kind of what I was going to go to. Yeah, uh, Belvin. What I was going to say is I think it's actually great that you initially said industrial because the resources to go below the sea and get this stuff uh, weren't av- wouldn't like be available to a society until they industrialized, right? So that would make this magic actually relatively new uh, on the world stage, at least. Well, I think maybe before what like everyone had sort of a folk magic uh, where Mm. you kind of just took the powers and energies of the colors around you um, in this pre-industrial world. Like maybe there's a lot more flowers than usual. So you get lots of different colors in your normal environment and balance is valued. Um, But at some point, uh, the color starts being strip mined um, and becomes sort of the, the gray wasteland we described. Technology develops. They, they get to get on ships more and get to start exploring the world more. And that's when they manage to harvest the, the coral and the fish. And it's much more potent than any of the stuff they had before. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they're channeling it through the fish, too. They wouldn't have ever been able to extract anything from the ocean that's not like very close to the coast. Like right. uh, shallow reefs, uh, right? You can right. catch fish but with deep yeah. sea diving now. You know, with that kind of, if we're in like the Liverpool, like smoke covered London uh, mm-hmm. era, in like the yellow fog, it kind of does fit with this as this magic that is just now coming into a prominence that we've never seen before. I get it. well, and before we go like actual high tech. I think there are ways to do spelunking or like sorry sea sea diving in a setting where they're not actually using like full on submarines or or suits. That's true. That's true. Could be color based magic that they manage to use. But I think like developing like nautical technology. Be part nautical of it. technology, mass production of paint, uh, that kind of thing is. Yeah, more I think what there would be thinking. a painter's guild. Mm-hmm. Which I think holds it's a, a question of, of what sort of aesthetic we want for the setting. That's true. That's true, and we must defer to the lorelet. Um, well, since people have been talking about diving and acquiring these resources and stuff, I have this image of, um, and, and I'm not going to get the terms right because I don't know it, but uh, those like old deep sea divers with like the big cage helmets yeah. and everything, the big t- tube of air going up into the surface, just like all kind of grayed out, reaching for this very blue colorful. Painted, <laughs> protected, protected yeah, helmet yeah, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. fucking have. Yeah, exactly. That's a nice image. <laughs> 
I don't know if that's uh, the best decision, but I think it's the most fun. I think yeah. it's fun too. Well, then it's in. We, we're, we're here to have fun. How it works. We're here to have fun <laughs> at gunpoint. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if we're just starting to like continue to play on this like new industrial empire, I would imagine that there are lands that have not been strip mined for color that the painters guild would like to get its hands on for mm. converting yeah, it I mean, to it paint. It depends on where we are in time. Well, I like think island more... chains would be really vulnerable too. You know, yeah. if they don't also, have they'd that. They'd also be some of the more protected ones too, because they're harder to find. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, how long did it take for people to find Pitcairn? Uh, you know, people right. found it by accident. I think it was in like the oh gosh, nineteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. People stumbled on it in accident, and for like another fifty years or something, it was still not on the map. I right, I think there's yeah. a lot of undiscovered territory that's maybe like very colorfully powerful too. Like has lots of natural defenses in that mm. way. You, yeah, I, the I, most secluded cultures in in our world that we have not like they're we are just um, contacting now are like on islands, but then also very deep in like jungles and forests. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess. The far north, maybe like in the in a very cold, forbidding air. Maybe not. I think Svalbard. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that yeah. best Norwegian possession. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's basically just inhospitable land. Really, the most inhospitable land on Earth that you can still live in, or just disparate. I don't know. I, I, my mind just went back to how Aboriginal people on, on Earth who didn't have exposure to our culture, like don't see blue in the same way. Like maybe their magic system kind of plays out differently. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Where their colors actually have completely different associations for them and different properties and powers. I think that's actually right. Tie through to what you had said earlier, actually. Yeah. I wasn't wasting anyone's time. That'd be fun. (laughs) I'd had an idea about, about the idea of like a colorblind person as like a null to magic in this setting, but I actually almost like the idea more of a people in this setting that, Either because of biological reasons you or because of cultural reasons. The colorblind. <laughs> well, no, they don't. No, I think no, no, because colorblind people can't be affected by magic or use it. I think people mm-hmm. with if we have synesthesia play a role in this setting. I think those people are on fucking magic steroids and they're susceptible to mutation easier. Mm-hmm. You would say. So mm-hmm. I like the idea of colorblind people being kind of like a painter's foil. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, colorblindness uh, is kind of like interpreting colors in a different way. It's not, yeah. you know, the way the name makes it sound. It's not actual like blindness to colors. It's more of a deficiency. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a, yeah, my, yeah. My man Dan here is colorblind. There you go. Yeah, um, yeah. we so don't I, hold it I against st- him. I will stop explaining. You know, he's <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, um, so there most most colorblindness is a deficiency because your cones are fucked up in your eyes. But most it's either like red, green or blue, purple. Mm. And then there's one other one. But there is there are full mm. colorblind people yeah. that have just they're so screwed up. They can see nothing, but they're very, very, very rare. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm going with this is like they aren't immune to this ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, they can kind of reinterpret the colors that are being used. So mm-hmm. if a red painter is coming at me and I'm colorblind, uh, I could reinterpret the paint that's being thrown at me his red is not my red i can change its ability if you're very and, like, skilled back yeah yeah that. i like that yeah. that's better that's fun yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I, and synesthesia 
being like sort of a, a wild magic sorcerer brimming with power kind of thing. That's really fun, too. <laughs> yeah. We're drawn up to the point where we need to start closing the bow. You know, we yeah, just start wrapping I, I think, the world. I think mm-hmm. we got to the point where we can kind of extrapolate outwards. I always like to get to that place with a setting where it's like it feels expansive in a way. Yeah, you have a core of stuff mm-hmm. and you can build out with it. Uh, yeah. So we have the industrialized nation probably clustered around an archipelago of island or like an island that is now going out or within reach of some easily oppressible archipelagos. Yeah, Yeah, they're going out into the world now to find more sources of color. And we've already got this kind of thread going. uh, We've talked about a couple times about this group of people who can paint with purple and are very wealthy and probably have some kind of iron grip on this whole campaign to go out and find more resources. Right. Yeah, It'd be cool if they were, you know, rarely seen either because their yeah. mutations have actually physically changed, not just their color, but their form. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To something less like natural. Tall, yeah. thin purple people. That's if they creepy. were just in like palanquins <laughs> being <laughs> carried around, if, like with blue curtains, so you couldn't like get in there. Or the uh, idea of like a daring like good. red painter captain going before a purple to basically request their benefactor them to be a benefactor for an expedition and we'll bring back some like crazy color shit that you haven't ever seen before i love that yeah that's cool yeah well, uh it's cool we're ending in a place where i could keep going that's always nice yeah yeah that's always great i'm gonna roll the dice here real quickly oh, uh, oh, before we before what's we close up, off what's up chessman do you have any last uh i i'm not saying that uh it's a good tradition uh for somebody to <laughs> impose a last Twist that actually ruins the entire <laughs> setting. Um, it's called the Walter paradigm. Yeah. I think as long that. as Walt isn't doing it, it's a good tradition. And also, because dogs can't see color, they rule everything. No! <laughs> I'm gonna roll that. I've never been so disrespected in front of our hostage slash guest. I'm gonna roll the D4 to determine who the next lad is for the upcoming episode. That is a four. That means it's Belvin. My God. Get, give the man Off a street. break. He's lore ladding it up this season. Uh, well, folks, that's our show. If you like this episode, you can subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice to get new episodes every Saturday. If you wish, go ahead and write us a review on iTunes and share us with all your world-building friends. It really helps us out. Follow Adam on Twitter at Adam C. Bassett and check out his work at smunchygames.com. Our art is courtesy of the talented and wonderful Shell Tor at Jovial Paradox on Twitter. You can tweet at us too at Lorelads or send us spirited hate mail at 30minuteworlds at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy world building.